couple of things uh, at the end of this talk. Uh, I hope you will have an understanding or will have understood and be able to apply what I'm calling the six principles that identifies that God is at work. That's what we're going to focus on today, that God is at work. The second thing is uh, I pray that uh, you'll be able to uh, understand how to successfully identify your role in God's work plan, if you will, uh, as well as current principles at work um, in your own lives and what the Spirit of God is doing even here in this church, okay? So before we begin, I just want to invite the, uh, uh, God's presence and his blessings on this word. So if you will, pray with me. Spirit of God, we bless you. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Christ, for your faithfulness towards us, your people, Lord. Lord, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to share with you and to share what you have provided us or given us in your word. Spirit of God, we ask your presence. We ask that you fill me with your spirit, Lord, that you place power on this message, God. May you, God, prepare the hearts of your people to receive what you have for them, Lord. Lord, with anticipation and delight, we look forward to seeing what you, the living God, is doing and what you're doing in your people's lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so um, as we start here, I want to start with this long uh, quote, which uh, I don't have many of those, and I'll read it to you, but I think it's uh, pretty significant. I apologize if it's uh, small, if you can't see it, but uh, I'll share it with you and and, uh, tell you what I'm focusing on. So I want to begin with that. It starts, uh, in this creation text, meaning uh, Genesis, human beings are given a mandate to work, which is intimately related to their identity as the image of God. It's found in Genesis 1 and 26. As image bearers, the human race is to work by ruling and serving the creation. As God has shown his transcendence to the created order through his work, human beings replicate the divine likeness by having dominion over creation. Work has, therefore, an extremely wide scope, but the theological point is central, and I underscore this particular point, that human beings are called to imitatio Dei, or to imitate God, the imitation of God, through work. It is not to be drudgery, but glory. The assumption, of course, is that Work will be done in response to the divine will. The insight found in this Bible study commentary is the line I have highlighted and want to bring to our attention. What we are called to as human beings are called to imitate God, to the imitation of God. We're made in his image through work. We'll learn a little little later what uh, this looks like and what the practicality of this is. Uh, Notice to some of us what relief the study provides by by stating it is not to be drudgery, but glory. Oftentimes when we think of work, it's like the drudgery of work. It is not what we have been taught and believe uh, with respect to work. But it's the idea that it's to glory that all things are for God's glory. 
Romans 8 and 28 says, as we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. In concluding this paragraph, the author notes the assumption, of course, is that work will be done in response to his will. That work is done in response to God's will. We will see this is true, and certainly I appreciate the commentator's insight. So it gave me some foundation for this idea that God is at work. So my question to you is, did you know that God works? Did you know that? Uh, That he has always been actively engaged in working. Certainly we hear it from Genesis that uh, in the beginning God created and we know that he works. And there's the idea, well, some will say, well, he worked then, he's not working anymore. And certainly as vineyardites, I guess that's what we call ourselves, vineyardites, or the people of the vineyard, we still believe that God indeed works. From the very beginning, we all understand that he worked in the beginning as Genesis speaks to. We have heard it spoken and taught that God uh, is a God who works. That's why I have entitled today's talk simply God at Work. And I want to start with why do humans work? Work, most people hear that word and think, oh my, it is Sunday. I have to go to work tomorrow. Another day, another dollar, putting up with my supervisor or boss or crazy customers. And perhaps some of you are already saying, I'm going up for prayer today for deliverance from my work. Whereas I believe that kind of work is important and actually is applicable to what God is doing in our lives, it is not our focus today. For today, I want to explore God at work. Why does God work? What is our response to his work? What is work? Perhaps today some of you may lean into the Lord during this week regarding his work and apply the principles we learned today to see what God has next or even in your current place. Okay? Uh, Just one thing I want to say. If something connects with you, uh, I, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, so I'm African-American, of course, as you can see. But if something connects, say amen. Feel free to say amen, okay? Amen. All right, thank you. <laughs> um, so um, what is work? So according to the definition, the noun says actively involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. It's this idea of what work is in the noun sense. The verb is to be engaged in physical or mental activity in order to achieve a purpose or a result, especially in one's job, or to do work. And so in this case, we see that God himself actually does work. So our text today is found in Genesis 2, 8, and 15. So let's talk about it. I like the Amplified Bible. So reading from the Amplified Bible. Uh, Genesis 2 and 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden, an oasis in the east, in the Eden, a delight, a land of happiness. And he put the man whom he formed, he created, he put him there. Genesis 2 and 15 says, So the Lord God took the man he had made and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. 
So that's what we're going to base our discussion and our principles, these six principles on that, those two verses. First of all, I want to just say, isn't it good that when we read the first one, according to the Amplified, it's an oasis, that the garden is a, a, an oasis, that Eden is a delightful land, a land of happiness. And, of course, I, I, I noted that that's why I like the Amplified Bible is because it's expressive. It gives me insight. And for me, I can embrace those kinds of words and reflect on everything that God does is good. In this case, we clearly see that it's the goodness of the God. So God's at work, amen, God's at work in the beginning. In Genesis, God reveals at the very beginning that he, our God, works. Genesis 1 starts with, in the beginning, God created. He created. Revealing at the gate that it is he who does the work. In addition, we are fortunate that Genesis also reveals that he invites us to participate in what he is doing. And is that what we also say here at the vineyard is that God invites us into what he is doing. God reveals his heart to man in the beginning of creation by himself demonstrating his work and his commitment to the man creation. So let's look at the six principles of God at work. Let's start by reviewing uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. And I'll read it to you again. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and he put the man whom he had formed there. So let's focus on the following phrase, and the Lord God planted. And the Lord God planted. Who does the planting? God does the planting at the gate. He does the work. He does the planting. By definition, that is work. Amen? Any of you plant gardens? If you have a garden in your yard, it requires some work. So God plants the garden. He does the work. So what we can surmise from verse 8 is that God is the one who takes the lead when it comes to work, his work. He takes the lead. We see this immediately, that God takes the lead, and that's already refreshing. Because what that says to me at the gate, right, is when it comes to the things of God that God wants to do and the things that he's calling me into doing, I don't have to try to figure out how to make it happen, right? It's God who takes the lead. How great it is to know that the work that is started, it takes place by God himself. And that's worth an amen. Amen. All right, so God takes the lead. And it's not that shepherd leadership, right? We hear that uh, in Psalms 23 that the Lord is my shepherd, and the shepherd leads. And where does he lead us? He leads us by still waters. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and etc. God demonstrates throughout the entire scripture that he takes the lead. In all work, not only does God take the lead, but in addition to that, he is responsible for providing the opportunity. So God takes the lead, and then he provides the opportunity. That's the second uh, key that we want to be, to be aware of. 
that God creates the opportunity. It is God who creates the opportunity for the work. The third principle that we want to look at is that uh, of God working is seen in verse 8. And the Lord God planted the garden, an oasis in the east, in Eden. In this verse, we see God does something specific in that he planted a garden. And uh, let's review uh, verse 8 again. When we look at that again, we see this phrase that he planted a garden. tells us specifically what God has planted. The curious thing here, or the thing to note here, is that God did not or does not take the man, and he does not transport him to the garden and say to the man, now plant it. He himself plants the garden. As the people of God, this is something we should embrace and understand about God, that he is not calling us to come up with or to create work, nor even prepare it. He does it. I think it's very critical to understand that, and and ultimately we'll talk a little bit more about that and what that means. And I'm being deliberately here so that we understand these principles of God being at work. So God will prepare the work himself. Now, why is that important? Because it is only God who knows the purpose of the work that he is doing. It's only he who knows the purpose of his work. Moreover, it is only God who knows what is the purpose of the work that he has prepared. He prepares it. He knows what its purpose is. Same thing with with, uh, God creating each of us, right? It's only he who knows what the purpose is that he has called us into. And one of the ways we discover that is at the gate, we allow God to lead. We allow him to lead. And we understand that he created the work for us, and he prepares uh, the work for us as well. Recall it is for his purposes and not our own. We see the initial three principles that work in individuals' lives, and perhaps you recall it in your own. The work of the Spirit when it comes to salvation would be an example. God takes the lead in individuals' lives when it comes to salvation and how he will bring individuals to salvation or how he even brought us to salvation. Okay? We often become frustrated because it is not going to plan. What we think should be happening is not going to plan. So when you think about, um, uh, or as quickly coming to plan. So perhaps this is why prayer is so vital as we encourage God to take the lead in a person's life. So when we think about people that we've been praying for, uh, asking God to break in, to their lives, to bring salvation to their lives. We all know people, friends, family, associates, enemies, lots of people we know that need the salvation of the Lord. And sometimes we become frustrated in that we go and we share the gospel with them and we talk with them, and there's no change. There's nothing that happens. You know, as, 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 uh, as it's sometimes said, 
they were a devil when you were talking to them, and when you left them, you know, two, three weeks later after you poured into them and you prayed and you hoped, they're still a devil, right? They have not changed. Does not change the love of God for them. We understand that. Doesn't change their need for conversion. But we, sometimes people take it personal because they're like, I couldn't cause them to come to Christ. I know Christ. I shared the word with them. I couldn't cause them to come to the Lord. So, um, we pray such things as God softened their hearts. God turned them towards you. God called them by name. God called them into repentance. All of these are requesting God to take the lead. We're asking God, you take the lead. It's only you who can change individuals. God creates the opportunities for the work of salvation to take place in their life, and he prepares their hearts for the work. The Spirit of God does what it does best. It works, right? The Scripture says that no one comes to Christ except by the Spirit of God. Therefore, it's God who um, uh, takes the lead in that individual's life it's he who begins to create in that individual's life what change that they need, and it is he who begins to prepare their hearts. God at work. He takes the lead. He creates. He prepares their heart. The Spirit of God doing what it does best, causing the work to come about, and therefore that person comes into salvation. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God that has done the work. Who better to prepare a sure work, a good work, an excellent work, a purposeful work than God? Everything God does is good. Amen? Everything God does is good. So far we have concluded that it is God who leads the work, he creates the work, and he prepares the work. Perhaps some of you say, okay, Les, got it. I understand. God leads. He creates. He prepares. But who is responsible for where the work will be done? Who is responsible where the work will be done? I'm glad you asked. And who do you believe is responsible for where the work will be done? None other than God. Let's look at this again. Let's dig deep into the inside of God and how he works. The fourth principle of work, of God's work, is found in verse 8 again. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. Specific location. In the east, in Eden. The fourth principle to know here is that God will identify where the opportunity is located. Wow, that is refreshing. So, I don't have to take the lead. I don't have to create the work. I don't have to prepare the work. And I don't even have to determine where the location is where the work will occur. God does it all. Isn't that amazing? For me, this is another huge relief. As God has been working this work thing out, he has it down. He even determines where the work will be done. Surely at this point, we must conclude, it appears, the work is already more than half 
done. Right? So, amen. Notice, all the way up until now, there has been no requirements of man to do any of the work. God establishes the foundation and purpose of what is to be done. And that said, we must consider what the biblical commentator said at the beginning when we started this talk, which is human beings are called to imitate God through work. So now God in his wisdom recognized that indeed he created man in his image with purpose and an expectation of relationship as well as partnership. This is good. So God does what he has done with me and each of you. He has called us into his work. So let's look at verse 15 to get better understanding of that. So the Lord God took the man, the man whom he had created, and he settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. Notice the phrase, the Lord God took the man and settled him. This is unique and interesting, and it gives me insight because it tells me that God will place or call us or call you into the work or the opportunity. Oftentimes, we're not sure whether or what God is calling us to. However, this verse brings comfort in letting us know that it is God who will place you in a specific place, a calling that he created. We practice this in the vineyard when we indicate that everyone gets to play, right? That's one of our themes that everyone gets to play. And we all can partner with the Father in what he is doing. Amen. Amen. When God places or calls you into a specific work, it is because he already knows the outcome of whose work? His work. God can do anything but fail. This work is a guaranteed success. So we see that God leads, he creates, he prepares, he identifies or locates where the work is going to happen, and he calls or places us into the work. And finally, after God places or calls you into the work, he also provides a specific instruction. This is important and must be carried out to see the work come to success. God will provide a specific instruction. Looking at verse 15 again, so the Lord God took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. That was the instruction, cultivate and keep it. This seems to be the theme of God, to work himself and then call us to participate in it, in what he is doing. Does that sound familiar? That God does the work, and then he calls us into participating in what he's doing. Even after God placed Adam in the garden with specific instruction, God does not abandon Adam. He still works. And perhaps that's the reason we still see God working today. Even after man was out of the garden and so forth, and and, uh, God is sharing with man what his plans are for salvation and so forth, that he still intended to work. 
And so we see this, that um, uh, God doesn't abandon Adam. He still works according to verse 9. The Lord God calls to grow or made to grow, as some translations will say, uh, to grow from the ground every tree that is desirable and pleasing to the sight uh, and which was good for food. God continued to work. Even though he invited man into it and gave man a specific instruction, he doesn't abandon him and say, hey, man, um, your work, figure it out, good luck. He continues to work. God is a God of, of work uh, at work. So when we move from the garden, as we look at Christ, we ask the question, does he reflect God working? Does Christ reflect God working? Yes, it appears he does, and Jesus clearly understood how God works, as noted by John in uh, chapter 5, verse 19, where it says, Jesus gave them this answer. He said, Verily, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. After God has started it at the gate, he takes the lead, he creates, he prepares, he locates, he invites. Christ understood that, that the Father was inviting him into it with a specific instruction, and the work was done. As an example of Christ's work, uh, we can follow uh, the six principles outlined in uh, the demonstration uh, of the feeding of the... um, of the 5,000. Um, in this particular one, I'll, I'll probably have to walk you through uh, where we are. But I believe it's demonstrated even here these six principles in the feeding of the 5,000. So we consider the passage. I'll read it to you. When the apostles returned, they told him, him being Christ, all that they had done. He took them with him and he privately withdrew to a city called Bethesda. But when the crowds learned of it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and he began talking to them about the kingdom of God and healing those who needed to be healed. Now the day was ending, and the 12 disciples came and said to him, send the crowd away so that they may go into surrounding villages and countrysides and find lodging and get provision because We are here in an isolated place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loads and two fishes, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And of course, we always say it's not including women and children. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. They did so, and he... and. And he had them to sit down. Then he took the five loads and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven and gave thanks and blessed them, and he broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were completely satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were abundant and were picked up and 12 baskets full left. In each area of this passage, we can identify this uh, uh, each step these six steps. We can identify that God leads, he creates, he prepares, he identifies where it's located, places them into the opportunity and provides specific instruction. Um, 
So the first part of that is that uh, we note that it is Christ who leads. And we see that in uh, verse 10. And when we say that he took them with him, that is he who took them with him. He takes the leadership. And then God creates the opportunity. He creates the opportunity by saying, when the crowd learned of it, they followed him. You know, just like God, creating the opportunity to know Christ, come and hear about him. Well, it's also an opportunity for God to work. And then we see, I'm working for my own slides. Next slide, please. Um, That uh, now the day was ending. So he prepares for them, and uh, he also identified early on where it was going to be located, that when he says, hey, we're going to Bethesda, he identifies where the work is going to take place, right? And then um, he also prepares the opportunity by ensuring that out of all the food that should have been there, out of 5,000 people, can you believe only one Little child came with food. Sounds like something God himself had prepared, that only two fish and five loads were there. So God has taken the lead. He creates the opportunity. He prepares the opportunity. He identifies where it's going to be located. And then he places the disciples into the opportunity or into the work. He gives them, he says to them, um, you give them something to eat. They say, look, that's all we have is some fish and so forth. And so he says, okay, got it. He invites them into that. They responded to that. Lord, we don't have anything. It's all we have, but this is what we have. So he took that invitation. They accepted that call. And then he gives them a specific instruction, have them to sit down in groups of 50, And then he takes the two loaves, I mean, the five loaves and two fish. He blesses it, and God works, right? He works. He took care of everything, the whole thing. Nothing for man to do but accept the invitation. Yes, I'll participate, God, in what you're doing. I'll wait for you to take the lead. I'll wait for you to create the opportunity. I'll wait for you to prepare it. I'll wait for you to determine even where it is. I'll wait on your invitation or your call to place me there. And then I'll follow your specific instructions. Now, let's consider the greatest work of God. And what do you consider the greatest work of God? Any ideas? What is the greatest work of God? Resurrection. But before resurrection, I think something was even greater than that. Because Lazarus was, was raised from the dead and and didn't change anything for me. But salvation. salvation at the cross, right? So that is the greatest work of God. God's work at the cross, Christ's work at the cross, is the greatest work for mankind. It's the thing by which uh, all of mankind pivots around. And certainly, resurrection is the thing that seals it. It's done. It's truly done. But it's the work at the cross that said, Christ was praying for my sins. So when we look at John 3, 16, of course, the famous verse that uh, is known worldwide. For God so 
greatly loved, amplified, greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the greatest work. Think about it and let's see if God's pattern or principles of work are still in play. Does God take the lead? If so, where do we see this in that scripture that God takes the lead? We see it, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. It's because of his love that he decided, this is what I will do. He takes the lead. Does God create the work? Absolutely. In Genesis, we see where God created the work. Genesis 3 and 15, he establishes at the gate, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He establishes at the gate, he creates what work will be done. Then God prepares the work. Next we see uh, that God prepares the work, and is this true with Christ's work at the cross? Ephesians 1 and 4, and there's many other scriptures that can also support it, but Ephesians 1 and 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wow. God is a God at work. For Christ also died. Another First Peter um, 3 and 18 so it says, For Christ also died uh, for sins once and for all, the just and for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. The work was prepared. 2 Corinthians uh, 5 and 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The other thing is God determines the location, right? That's the fourth thing. He determines the location. According to Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to explain to to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed, and on the third day he will be raised. And then God places or calls Christ into the work. Christ only does what he sees the Father do. He calls him and places him into the work. And we see this because he says, For God so greatly loved the world and dearly prized it, uh, uh, and the dearly prized world, that he gave his only begotten Son. He called him. Son, will you go? I'm calling you into this work. Then God provides the specific instruction. And the question is, did God provide Jesus with specific instruction? Let's consider Luke 22 and 42. New Living Translation says, Christ says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Clearly, Christ understood the instruction. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked for it to be taken away. So as we consider this, finally, I want to look at the spirit of God. We talk about what God does himself and the principles, those six principles that he lay out. We see Christ follows that same model of principles. And even today, the Spirit of God follows those same principles. They're all one. 
right? They're all one. All of them are God. So the work of the Spirit in the church in you, should we expect the same pattern or attributes to be at work? And yes, we should expect the same to work here as well, to work in your life. The Spirit of God embraces these same six principles as he established them. Where do we see these principles in place or see them in play? We see them in play here at the vineyard when we pray for others. What's the very first thing we do when we pray for somebody uh, at the vineyard? What's that? We invite the Spirit. We're saying at the gate, Spirit of God, take the lead. Why? Because I can't do the work. I can't heal nobody. Even if I was a doctor, I couldn't say I could heal anyone, right? It's the Spirit of God who takes the lead. So we invite the Spirit of God to take the lead. And it's the thing that we also learn for ourselves when maybe we're going through things and we have no clue. We got ourselves into something. We can't get out of it. The way we work that out is we invite God to come in and work. So we invite the Spirit of God to come in and work. And then the second thing is we wait and allow God to create the specific work that he wants to do. We wait and allow him to create the specific work he wants to do. And then we allow him to prepare it. And then we allow him to determine where it's going to happen. Sometimes, um, uh, you know, there are people who come and they ask us to pray for them. We invite the presence of the Lord. And they came in sick and they left sick. Why? Because for whatever reasons, God hadn't created the work yet. He hadn't prepared the work yet. It may be some things he's working in them or working out of them. And maybe he doesn't want it to happen in this location. Perhaps it's somewhere else for a greater purpose. Remember that God's work is for whose purpose? His purpose. That's why when I pray for people, I don't have to become discouraged when God does not move. Amen. Because it's not my work. It's his work. It's his work. And so as we... Here at the vineyard, continue to trust the Spirit of the Lord. We look to the Spirit of God to lead us. I encourage you to look for that in your own lives. Spirit of God, lead me. Are you leading me into this place of employment? Are you leading me into um, this situation or into this relationship or into this divorce or whatever? What Are you leading me, Spirit of God? We allow the Spirit of God to lead us. And then allow the Spirit of God to create and to prepare it and to determine where it's going to happen. And then look for the invitation. Oftentimes, or look for him to place us in it or to call us in it. Oftentimes, this is the place where we as mankind can say to God, uh, where we miss things. God took the lead. He created. He prepared it. He determined where the location is. And we say, nope, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going. And we miss the work of God. And many times it's for our own personal benefit. We also see uh, these principles that play in worship, in fellowship, in church fellowship, in family, in our work, in our lives. Um, and, and even in, in, in me being a part of this sermon today, I was thinking about it, um, that God took the lead. So the beginning of this year, I, was, I started a fast and so forth, and felt like the Lord said, hey, I want you to read in Genesis. 
And uh, so I read Genesis 1. First, they got some incredible insight on some things of the Spirit. And then I felt like the Lord said, hey, I want you to read Genesis 2. So I read Genesis 2, 2 and 8, um, read the whole chapter. But verse 8 and verse 15 stuck out. Wow. I kept saying, well, Lord, what is, what is that all about? It's interesting. It is what it is. It's interesting. You've, you've done something there, but God was taking the lead. And then God created and prepared the opportunity. I had no idea I was going to be asked to, to share today. And um, just so happened, Bill and Melinda say, hey, we're ghosts. God created the opportunity. He prepared me for it. And here I am. And then he determined the location. Yeah, it's going to be at the vineyard in Lake Jackson. Okay, Lord, I'll, we'll fly back down. We'll put me there. Tell me where it is. I'll go there. I accepted the invitation. And here I am. And um, then I followed the specific instruction. Specific instruction in this case is what I believe that the Lord wants us to know here today, that it is he who does the work. He is not asking you to bear the work of anything. He's not asking you to bear the work of your own sin. You can't bear them anyhow, right? He's not asking you to bear the work of your failures. Why? Because you can't bear them anyhow. He's not asking you to, to bear, uh, you, you, you need whatever, finances, or you need something, whatever it is you need. I mean, we all need something, right? He's not asking us to bear that and go out and figure it out and all that stuff. Now, there's certainly the idea that the curses come and that for Adam that he said, oh, you got to go out and toil and work. But Christ does what? He reverses the curse, right? In Christ, that's reversed. So we get to go back to the beginning where God set up the principles and said, you know what? Let me take the lead. Let me create. Let me prepare. Let me tell you where it's going to be. I'll invite or place you in that particular thing. I'll give you a specific instruction. You follow that instruction. You will uh, do well. So um, just recognizing that sometimes you may miss it. However, keep looking for God's lead. That's, that's the, the key thing is you want to look for God to take the lead because God is indeed at work. All right, let us pray. Spirit of God, we bless you. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Christ, for your faithfulness towards us, your people, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray, oh God, that um, it has rested in people's hearts, God, that... Uh, you, Lord, you take the lead. Lord, we ask that you take the lead in our lives, Lord, in our circumstances and, and the things that we desire and the things that we hope for, Lord, that it's, we're asking you, Lord, we're inviting you, Spirit of God, to take the lead, Lord. Lord, help us to understand and to uh, be assured and to embrace, Lord, that we are not responsible for the work, that you, a good God, a good Father, you do the work for us, that you prepare it, you create it, you even determine the location, Lord. Lord, give us sensitive ears that we may hear your invitation and where you're calling us into, Lord. And Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to follow your specific instructions, God. Spirit of God, we are utterly dependent upon you. We as your people, we're dependent upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, just a couple of things here. Uh, one thing is I 
as I prepared for this, I just felt that, um, you know, some of us may be going through some challenges or going through some things, and, and we just want someone to pray with us to do just what God does best in that idea of inviting him to take the lead. We've tried. We've, uh, we've tried to shake the, the trees, and we've shaken every limb, and we went back and forth and over and over and over and over, and it's not working. And we're, we're saying, Lord, will you take the lead? So if that's you, uh, while we worship, uh, if you'll just come up and um, we will um, certainly pray for you and minister to you. And if there's any other needs that you may have or if there's anything else in the message today that connected with you, uh, I ask that you come up and receive prayer and we'll have someone to pray for you. Bless you, Lord.